Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights for making money in food. The Edible Alpha podcast is hosted by the Food Finance Institute, where our mission is to help food businesses raise the money they need to grow. Through our podcast, FFI staff talks to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food or farm business. Well, welcome to our Edible Alpha podcast uh, series. Today, um, I'm actually going to be interviewing somebody I just met today. So that's uh, that's sort of a different podcast for me anyways. Um, so I met uh, Sylvia Charles from uh, Just Dates. Um, and actually, I guess I was introduced from, uh, I was talking to my internal counterparts at FFI. And, and Sylvia had actually been part of an investor pitch at Expo West some years back. And our founder, Tara Johnson, um, was, uh, I think, reviewing and or one of the judges that happened to uh, to be part of that. And she she kept kept Sylvia on the list, Sylvia on the list um, for this would be somebody somebody we should talk to, um, somebody we should watch out for. And uh, so I had the opportunity to have a little huddle with Sylvia this morning and uh, and, and think Tara was right. It was uh, it's a, it's a pretty interesting opportunity that Sylvia's bringing to market. And so what I'm not going to do, since I don't know Sylvia that, that all that well, I'm just going to turn it over to Sylvia and let 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 her uh, introduce herself and her company, and and then we'll go from there. Okay. Great. Well, it was very nice to meet you this morning too, Brad, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you today. Um, I'm Dr. Sylvia Charles, and I'm the founder of Just Date, um, where we make organic, real fruit sweeteners um, that we like to call sugar without the crash, and. I was formerly a doctor at UCSF. I'm still a doctor, not a practicing one anymore. Um, but I was at UCSF um, here in San Francisco, and I was becoming frustrated with the rise in chronic illness that so many of my patients were experiencing. Um, I think we all know about the rise of obesity and diabetes um, globally and nationally. And I started to wonder what I could do um, to help my patients. And I was wondering why it was so difficult um, for patients with diabetes, patients with other forms of chronic illness to give up sugar and to change their lifestyle. Um, And what I kept coming back to was that I didn't feel like there was an alternative or replacement for sugar that both tasted amazing and was good for you. So I started to think about dates, which my mom had used to sweeten her Indian chutneys growing up. And I had known about their amazing nutritional properties for a while, um, but I was wondering if I could turn those dates into something, a sweetener that could be used every day. Um, wondered if it would hold on to all of that amazing nutrition from dates and also taste good. And my experiments worked and I developed a date syrup that my patients loved, my friends and family loved. And what I was excited about is that it was so nutritious. Um, I also learned that date syrup had been around for centuries in the Middle East and had just never quite made it over to the United States and had never really been used as a sweetener in place of sugar. And so really wanted to bring this to a larger audience and beyond my 20 and 30 minute medical visits um, in the hospital where I didn't have much time to talk about or change anybody's lifestyle, um, wondered if I could do it from their kitchens, from their pantries and create pantry staples, um, sweeteners, replacements for sugar that were actually good for you. So I started selling it locally here in San Francisco at some of our our best organic and natural stores, um, Buy Right, Rainbow Grocery, uh, Good Eggs, and um, 
it started to really move off the shelves. And I was excited by that. And about two months after launching, um, we got into, I got into Whole Foods nationwide and decided to leave my job in medicine, my very stable career at UCSF, um, to become an entrepreneur and take this to a different level. So that was back in 2018 where we launched with Whole Foods. Um, and since then, we are now in about 2,000 natural doors, have three flagship SKUs, um, a variety of specialty products. And yeah, here we are. Full disclosure is that I haven't worked with Sylvie before and neither is FFI. So um, we're going to take today and, and talk a little bit about her arc and, and a little bit of how I work with companies. And then at the same time, you know, I said, I said to Sylvie, take it as a three uh, hour of consulting. Um, so, you know, and, and she graciously agreed. So that was good. You know, one of the things I'll, I'll just touch base on. So I work, I, I run an accelerator program for the University of Wisconsin uh, Food Finance Institute. I've been that for a couple of years now. But prior to that, I did it for five years with an industry group called Fab Wisconsin in collaboration, collaboration with the Food Finance Institute. And um, and so I've worked with over 110 uh, scaling and growing companies. Um, so it's sort of, I you know, I've. I've you know, I grew up in corporate America and I affectionately uh, let the, you know, let, let my let my people I work with know that I've, I've worked my way down the corporate ladder, um, which is I highly recommend. Um, it's more fun to work with startups than to work in corporate America. Um, it's a very, uh, you know, I say you think you want to start a food and beverage company. Okay. Especially if it gets big, it gets to be a lot of work. Um and so, you know, one of the things I do with companies is I really try to, you know, I, I when I first came to this role, I came to it as, you know, okay, how do I, how do I make, I'm going to say some of the best practices in food and beverage, you know, palatable and easy enough to be able to, to you know, for scaling bootstrapping companies to do, because some of it costs money and some of you have to, instead of money, you use, you know, some qualitative type of uh, features that you can get your hands on. Like if you're at farmer's markets, you have an opportunity to talk to consumers. That's a lot of great research, honestly, if you do it right. Um, so I try to work with them on, okay, this, this is what you need to do on a sales marketing operating, you know, to develop a plan for your business, roll it into a financial package to grow and, you know, and execute. And, you know, obviously at corporate America, the one thing that's, there's an advantage, you know, because they have a built-in finance arm. So when I get a thousand people to say yes at a company um, and they agree to give $10 million to launch it, you know, and then you have sales marketing operation professionals to actually execute you can get to, you know, 65, 75% distribution in one year, maybe 18 months. Um, you know, that's doable. All right. In the startup world, that's not the case um, because nobody has that kind of limited funds. They don't have the teams. Um, you know, so what I really do is try to work with companies, you know, to, on, a, on a three year, three year, three year cycle, the first three years, you know, figuring out what you think you have as a value proposition and, um, and confirming that. And, and it sounds like you went through that over the last three years. So why don't you, why don't you give a, a little bit of a review for the group to, to, you know, how you sort of got started and, and, and then, you know, you, you gave a little bit of focus on the, on, on how you got started in the sense of, you know, the transition of why you got started, but a little bit more about the details around the first three years of work to get you to where you're at, where you, where you've done this seed round and where you're now poised to start looking at the next three years. Yeah, absolutely. And I am so interested to hear you talking about things in three-year cycles because that definitely does feel like how it happens um, looking back on on the history of this business. Um, 
So, you know, really kind of officially launched in 2018 and have been bootstrapped up to this point. Um, A variety of my own funds, um, some loans, and, you know, really just like the the revenue of the business to grow to the next level. Obviously, as I'm sure you know from watching many, many startups, um, that limits exactly how fast you can grow. And mostly it limits the kind of team you can have. Um, so I've really only ever functioned in this business um, until recently uh, on my own and with some, um, some you know, one, <laughs> one or two like ha- hired hands um, here and there. Um, but in 2021, um, you know, realized how much traction we had had um, with just, just really myself um, at the helm of this business and realizing that with a little bit of money, we could go a lot further and with a team, we could go a lot further. So um, in the first three years, you know, expanded to probably about 15 to 1800 doors, um, maybe beyond that, um, mostly like Whole Foods with 500 stores and then a variety of natural and independent organic and natural um, grocers throughout the country um, combined with um, some really good e-commerce presence as well through Amazon Thrive Market um, and kind of more regional, just more regional e-commerce like Good Eggs and Farm Fresh to You. And also, you know, a growing, a growing food service business as well. And realizing that um, with a variety of bootstrapping and loans that I could really only, I could really only start to fund exactly what we were doing. And that growth was really, really limited. Um, There just weren't weren't enough extra profits um, to be able to hire the team that we wanted. Um, So in 2021, I recruited uh, my new business partner um, who comes from corporate America, um, comes from a very long history of, uh, you know, over a decade of working at Apple. And um, together we have uh, raised for the first time, which is very exciting, um, just wrapping up that raise now. And planning to use that to already starting to put that to use by growing our team um, first and foremost and being able to invest in our next steps. And, you know, our date syrup, our our primary flagship SKU um, is in a little bit like over 2000 doors now, um, but our two other flagship SKUs are not even close to that. Um, So we just have so much room to grow. And really that's been about building a sales team this year and making tremendous progress in just a few months um, with with a new sales team under our belt. So um, we are very excited about the next steps. So, you know, as, as you, you describe that, um, why don't you get share a little bit of just to make sure everybody sort of knows, you know, what you mean by bootstrap in the sense that, you know, you started, a, you know, you had this idea. So you went to a shared use kitchen and you um, give just a little bit of color on that. Please. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my own money and my own risk um, invested mm-hmm. in the business um, at the beginning. And, you know, I like to say that I made mistakes with my own money, so I didn't have to make the same mistakes with any investor's money. Um, and then, you know, I think what was good about the business is that we made some traction early on. Um, so we had kind of significant revenue to be able to fund next steps of the business. Um, and, you know, and then on top of that, um, when purchase orders started to get 
more challenging, um, that's when we decided to work with um, with a, a company called Ampla, which is kind of like a factoring situation um, to be able to help fund our POs, just like a, a line of credit there. So, um, you know, I think between... <laughs> between all of those things alone, the credit, and then my own investment in the business, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I mean by bootstrapping. So being really, really careful with funds, um, really just almost everything, just being invested back into the business and taking very, very little for myself, uh, which ended up being a hard few years. Um, but now kind of post that period in time, um, you know, I think, I think growing the bit, I, I, I look back and think like, okay, what would I have done if we had had a um, million dollar seed round um, back then when we got started? And I was moving from another career, right? So I think that if I had been like, if I had had any experience working in the food world, if I had had any experience being an entrepreneur, um, even working in business at all or with an MBA, then like maybe you can make smarter decisions with that million dollar seed round. But I think I learned so much in the first three years um, that I'm glad I didn't have that money. I would rather have it now for the first time and be able to know exactly how we're going to spend it. Um, and I think like already in the first, you know, three, four months of deploying our seed round, we have made really smart decisions and we're already seeing the impact and the growth of the business. Yeah, that's a great piece you just brought up. I said, I, I came from corporate America and as I said, I've, I've got into consulting and then I landed this role to, to do this job, you know, with smaller companies most of my consulting business is with more larger stage, you know, CPG companies. Um, and that was one of the things that I, I sort of had to wonder about. I, I saw accelerators out there and, and they were always talking about investment, investment, investment. I said, investment should only go where it's, it's actually worthy to be spent. Totally. <laughs> um, and, and if you don't know what you're doing, I mean, it's like, man, I tell you, that's dangerous to give a lot of money out to somebody like that. Um and it's it's an interesting. I, I agree with exactly what your arc because I one of the things I do when I work with my companies I say these three year three year three year uh, cycles is that you know every year part of the reason you do that is obviously you don't have enough money to just go national like I described. Mm -hmm. um, and then two, the other thing is you don't also have a team and or working knowledge in those in the segments you're in. So what you want to do in order to be able to de-risk your business is you make, you know, okay, this is, this is where I want to be in three years. So what do I have to learn over the next three years so that when I get to that point, I can, I can still, I can go to the next phase of more accelerated growth. And, you know, you know, they say the first few years is sort of proving it out and getting it to a, where, you know, there's market market viability. The next three years is scale and grow it. All right. Um, so that you start really getting all the elements together. Well, in order to do that, you have to prove the channels you can compete in the channels you're working in. And if you don't have any knowledge in those channels prior to the to your launch, um, you know that's pretty important. Um, you know, working with uh, distributors is not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> um, getting paid on time, you know, you know, running cash flows, you know, accounts receivable, making sure you have a cash flow um, that you can manage, um, especially when you get into broader distribution. Um, so it's, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's it's good advice for anybody listening in. Is that um, you know, getting too much money too fast, if you don't know exactly where you're going to spend it, you, you know, you will probably won't spend it wisely. Yeah. Um, 
Totally. I agree. And I think, um, you know, we spent the last three years really spent the last three years really proving my concept and um, improving it well. I mean, we have like well over 100,000 customers now and we get to rely on those customers to help us um, decide what direction we're we're going. And, um, you know, I think that's what got our current investors so excited, right? We have built that traction and we've done it um, with very little input. Um, very little financial inputs. And so, um, you know, I feel like they feel very confident in us to be able to go to the next place because we've done so much with so little. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Well, like, and, and like I say, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to keep sort of framing it. And so now we're, we, we've got, we've got the, we've got a picture of how you got to where you're at today. So moving forward, it's sort of like, okay, so it's focus and scale, you know, where are we going and exactly where we're going to take this brand and whatnot. And so, you know, as I start working with companies and, 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 and you and I discussed it, um, I think let's, let's do a little bit of foundational work for the, for the audience a little bit in the sense that um, it's, it's not so much going backwards, but it's like, okay, so these are some of the principles that you, you grow your business on. You mentioned a little bit about your practice and working with people and, and, and trying to help them with, you know, with your new product. But I mean, let's talk about the macro trends of the market, you know, and then, you know, then how can you dissect that market? So why don't you give a little bit about, I mean, like I said, I, I've seen, I've seen trend charts since 2000. I saw ten, every consensus census year, 2000, 2010, 2020, and, and every one of the maps look really horrible for activity, mm-hmm. uh, obesity, and then type two diabetes. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and how, how you, how you guys are looking at that? Yeah. I mean, the trends are scary right now, right? And so that's what definitely impacts my work. And I think, um, you know, I've been studying sugar science for, you know, what, nearly a decade now. And I, you know, in my in my spare time and re- reading the latest studies before bed. So that's, that's my fun life. Um, but <laughs> I'm really into it, right? So the, the sugar science out there is, I mean, sugar is just so complicated. There's so much to understand. So you can't blame people for not understanding exactly how to how to have a better lifestyle in the world we're in where the foods we're being offered just have so much hidden sugar in in everything um, from kids' school lunches and kids' snacks to anything that you pick up at the grocery store pretty much, right? And so the trend in grocery and especially natural organic grocery right now is definitely to move away from sugar. Um, And I like to liken it to the trends of gluten-free and dairy-free. I mean, 10 years ago, we we're not really drinking almond milk on like a national basis or much less oat milk, which is certainly more recent. Um, and so now a dairy free lifestyle is like pretty pervasive. So we really anticipate in the next 10 years that a low sugar lifestyle will also become just as pervasive and important as a dairy free lifestyle or a gluten free lifestyle. And the problem, though, is that so many alternatives to sugar are being offered, right? So, um, and it, the landscape is really complex for the for the customer, and it's hard to understand how all things are not necessarily created equal. So there's honey, which tastes really good, but still spikes your blood sugar in almost the same way as regular old cane sugar. Um, And then there's options like 
you know, stevia, which I think is really perceived as a natural sweetener. But the reality is, is that most stevia on the market is, you know, made in the made in a lab um, to be the same compound. And that is actually the form that's recognized by the FDA. And I think there's really a big problem with non-nutritive and zero calorie sweeteners that, you know, we've seen in the past with low fat and no fat food trends, right, is that actually it leads to a rebound and we end up craving sugar more because what happens to our bodies um, when we give a strong sugar signal and then don't actually get the calories behind it is that we still crave that sweetness. Um, So stevia and monk fruit are like 150 to 300 times sweeter than sugar. And so we're trying to really help customers, help consumers do the opposite, right? Which is consume sugar in a way that your body recognizes. And that is a way you can incorporate um, sugar into your life without the crash and in a more um, balanced way, um, which is really like what eating should be all about, enjoyment and satisfaction and balance. And so we have a lot of work to do on really helping consumers understand this landscape. Um, it's a challenge that is really exciting for me um, in trying to figure out. Um, and mostly we want to just offer products. Um, right now we have our date syrup, our pomegranate syrup um, made from pomegranates because they're also insanely nutritious, um, have tons of antioxidants, and our granulated dry date sugar. Um, and so these three are our flagship SKUs. And the reason we, you know, want to get them out there is that these are three products I can really stand behind as a doctor. And so that is the basis of what we put out. Um, we don't put out anything that is just better for you, maybe slightly better for you. We really believe that our products are good for you and um, are, you know, going to allow you to live a more balanced lifestyle that is ultimately going to help you live a longer, healthier life. Um, and that's, that's how we get there. So that's cool. You know, so it leads us to, you know, or just, uh, you, know, you and I were talking about, I mean, the good news is you've been around a while now and you've been, you've got some consumers you can bounce some things off of and you, you just mentioned to me earlier that uh, that you've at least done a survey of your of your hundred thousand consumers and not all of them necessarily but you know you get a big swath of them a, a quantitative swath of Q and a about you know their lifestyle and 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 how sugar plays a role in it and, and blah 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 um, that's that's all great so now that now the meth you know the whole the thing what you just described is so how do you navigate this expansion, you know, in a much broader way, um, you know, and and make sure you get the, I always equate it to Michelangelo's David. Um, I saw it in Florence and it was very into that little quote when you walked up to the wall, the, you know, the masterpiece is in there. All you have to do is remove the excess stone. And, and uh, you know, that's the, you know, and that's sort of the mantra of marketing as far as I'm concerned is like, you know, you only have, you know, people can, well, you'll see the beauty quickly um, if, you know, obviously if they, if they, you know, if you've cleared the cleared it that way, right? You've, you've carved it out so that it's clean and it's understandable, and they really appreciate it. Um, so you got the you've got marketing ahead of you um, to to really focus that message. Um, so you know, not only marketing, but um, why don't you talk a little bit of that about? I'm going to say your go to market. Sort of the next three years of 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 sort of like you know, I'm going to say your focus, and then sort of opportunity areas that you're going to be con- considering. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
You know, I think one of the things um, we learned from our our customer surveys um, that we're really trying to take into our planning and strategy for the next um, for the next three years is taking this. Um, yeah, just looking looking really hard at what we learned from our customers. So what we learned about. Um, what they want is that they're looking for simple ingredients. Um, that is something that really draws our customers in. I think we we know that macro as a trend, but hearing that from our customers really has helped us focus even a little bit more because that is what we do. We do simple ingredients and there's a lot of health and a lot of nutrition and a lot of um, science that's behind that. Um, but consumer facing, it's really about simple ingredients. Um, our customers also really want to feel better. Um, that came up time and time again in these surveys um, in a huge way. They want to sleep better. They want to. Um, they want more energy. They want to feel less fatigued. And so our products help with that also um, because sugar is sugar and alternative, uh, you know, artificial sweeteners are really really just have a huge impact on energy and fatigue, sleep, all of that. I mean, we talk, again, we talk about our products as sugar without the crash. And I think large scale, I think it's really in help, really important to help consumers realize what exactly is causing them to feel so tired. And I think we've all felt that high and low from eating too much sugar. Um, if you have kids, you've seen it real time with them. Um, and so it's really those highs and lows, those spikes, those crashes that actually lead to insulin resistance long-term and to the chronic illnesses we're developing. So that actually guides our product strategy for the next three years. Um, and like I said, we've already have like well over 100,000 customers. There's so much, so many more to acquire. I mean, even at our biggest account, Whole Foods, we've learned that only 25% of the customers we surveyed at Whole Foods even know our brand exists, have ever even heard of date syrup. Um, so that, and these are customers that, you know, are already geared towards, um, towards buying products like ours. They're looking for things like ours and they haven't heard of us yet. So um, we have a lot of space in the next three years to do both, to offer new products to our current customers um, who are already our early adopters early adopters, super consumers, evangelists, um, help them grow even into bigger evangelists. And we have a lot of new customer acquisition to do in terms of marketing and messaging. Um, I think, you know, Brad, like we talked about this morning a little bit, um, you know, I think it's really interesting at this point after three years to circle back, take a really hard look at our branding and our messaging and making sure that we are getting we are getting everything that we are passionate about out to the consumers, making them feel excited about more products from the brand, knowing that they are feeling better because they are swapping sugar for our products. Um, and, you know, being able to educate them and in a positive way to achieve a more um, balanced lifestyle and to live a longer life. So yeah, we, we have a lot of a lot of work to do on both um, customer acquisition and just offering more to our customer base. And so that is a really fun part of my job is getting to think about what products are going to be next for our customers. That's great. Um, and I appreciate the commentary, you know, at the, at the end, because I, uh, honestly, you know, 
coming out of, uh, like I said, the, the best entrepreneurs I work with, you know, you know, they're all good and focused, like what you're, what you've been sharing, but also at this point, I mean, it, it, the ones that realize that, you know, that they sort of know what they don't know. Um, I mean, it's like, and it's like, I say, what do you mean? It's like, it's like, you know, you, you, you know, as much as you know, your market, there's still a lot to learn. I mean, you know, when I was at, uh, you know, I, uh, when I, I started my branding and marketing career at Sargento Foods and, um, you know, so they, you know, part of what I did as an engineer turned <laughs> marketer, um, you know, I knew the physics of business or physics of, of the world, you know, like, cause that's when they, when I did my engineering projects, I never violated the laws of physics because I knew it was, it was, it was not a, it was not advisable. It never worked. Um, gravity always works. Right. Um, in business, the physics of business is supply and demand, the three C's, the four P's, um, don't violate them, you know? And the other thing is, you know, and then also, you know, don't get, don't get too complacent. Um, you know, a brand is something that needs to be developed over time. All right. Um, you know, and, and I know at Sargento, you know, a lot of the work that you see on ad advertising for Sargento was created when I was running the shredded cheese business. We had a brand team that we put together separate from my shredded cheese business, but it was like, who's our target consumer. All right. And we did a lot of work in that space to really understand our family's passion is cheese. You know, that whole, everything you see of Louis and Lou Gentine talking about a family business and, and, and how it makes the meal and, and all the great food that it prepares. It was really, you know, and, and they were a 50 plus year company. Now they'd done a lot of good work prior to that, but this was a way of refocusing everything towards not being a better craft. This was about being Sargento and, and the role it played in, in a consumer's life, right? Um, and so hearing you, hearing you say that, you know, where you're at and, you know, trying to take an assessment of it and now how do we focus it? It's, it's really important. It's really critical. Um, and then I say, you know, that, that leads you to, you know, a brand is just that it's the promise you establish with your consumers. Um, and so the product emanates from that, you know, and reinforces the, the brand positioning ultimately. Um, so as you move forward, you know, and you look at segments, so it's like, what's the best segment for you to continue to grow in, you know? Um, and, and, and prioritizing. So why don't you talk a little bit about the segments that, you know, that, you know, your core segment, but just sort of like a little bit of some of your macro thoughts of it, you know, don't give out any trade secrets here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think it's interesting too, Brad, and maybe you see this a lot. I think for a little bit of time, right. Um, I'm, I'm a mom of two young kids, um, four and one. And I think that, you know, I started to let my own experience, um, in my focuses at the time of how I was putting a lot of thought into what I was feeding my children, um, really start to affect, you know, who I thought my target audience was, right? And so I think, you know, we let our, our own experiences sometimes really dictate that we're all human and we want to relate things back to um, our own experiences, right? So um, for the last like year and a half, I maybe two years, really started to focus a lot of our messaging um, towards towards moms. Um, and moms are actually really visible on our social platforms. Um, you know, they're always posting with their kids using date syrup, you know, swapping date syrup for maple and pancakes and for sugar, like, and making the pancakes. So we see a lot of that visibly. And I think with social media too, you start to you start to think that like, okay, this is your target customer. This is your segment. Um, but I think what we've really learned through our customer data is actually people just 
most people are buying for themselves. And, you know, maybe that trickles down to their families later, but the vast majority, they are looking for alternatives for themselves to feel good. They're struggling with feeling good and they want to make a change for them. And so I think that was a really good lesson for me um, looking from, you know, what I what I felt like our segments yeah. were, you know, um, to what they actually are. And, you know, so to be able to restructure our branding again and to refocus on this um, target audience, which is, you know, a, a certain demographic. Um, we have like all the age ranges now and um, on a pretty large sample size. Um, so we can kind of refocus our energies to being able to gear towards that customer. But I think, you know, it's a good lesson for all entrepreneurs to like not let your own experience and <laughs> the reason you let like the product yeah. <laughs> to yeah. dictate um, how you're selling it. Yeah, no, that's a very, and it is a very common thing. I can remember, like, say, when I was at Sergento once, uh, you know, an executive team member goes, you know, like, I really like it. Like, and I kept, you know, I, the thought over my head was, um, you know what? Great, but you're not the demographic profile. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I, I'm glad. I, I think, you know, they really liked it, especially since they knew it would make money. That's, I think, exactly how it works. And, and that's sort of how an investor should look at it. I mean, they, they should be dispassionate about the product as much as the fact that can that product make money? Um and that's a lot of, you know, a lot of what you have to, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're being, I've got a, a Venn diagram on how to maximize business potential. And, you know, I've developed that over the years of in, in, in the industry and, and uh, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward stuff. But the reality is, as an entrepreneur, you have to be every one of those segments, you know, you have to be a sales VP, a marketing VP, an operations VP, you know, the CEO, CFO. Um, you, even when you get the team to, together, you, you got to appreciate all those elements and, um, it's hard. It's hard to do. And, and I said, marketing is one of the hardest ones because it's such a personal thing, um, you know, and it's your brand. It's your, you know, you, you, all the things that you've sort of rolled into it. But so you're you're navigating that well. And, you know, so, you know, one of the next challenges that I know that you like I said, you, you we didn't touch on a whole lot yet um, is other segments and some thoughts around segments, you know, uh, of where to focus a business and grow it. So you're at this inflection point, um, you know, in the next three years of you know, where to take this brand and, and some of the, some of the, some of the, the considerations. And then, you know, like I said, don't give any trade secrets, but obviously as, as I think we talked about, there's a broad world in front of you, honestly, um, you know, and the world of sugar replacements um, and the role sugar plays and, and your product um, can play in the category. So really it is the whole, it's the entire food and beverage category. How do you, how do you go after it? Exactly. I mean, that's what we are trying to figure out right now. So we, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I mean, sugar is in everything, right? It's hidden in our beverages. It's hidden in our snacks. It's hidden in school lunches. It's even hidden in vitamins um, for both adults and children. And so the opportunities are really, really wide. And but at the same time, I think there's a lot of education to be done um, that I think is being done in the natural organic space um, about how much things cost, right? So, um, so you know, we work with dates, we work with pomegranates. These are very expensive little fruits. And so, um, you know, the, the question right now is to 
we have our syrups and our sugar, which are doing really, really great in natural and organic. How do we move to conventional where we've had a little bit of dabbling, a little bit of space? Um, but, you know, I think to really move beyond that and to make our product accessible to a wide range of people is a really exciting challenge for us um, that we are approaching in now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And also to, you know, food service is a a small part of our business right now, um, really just about 15 to 20%. But, you know, really selling our products to other companies to be able to replace sugar in their products. Um, And we've had some some big success and big wins um, there recently um, with values aligned companies who really see the benefit in transitioning from let's say cane sugar to our granulated date sugar and seeing the big difference there. Um, and, you know, I haven't actually touched on this at all, but one of the major differences between um, cane sugar and our granulated date sugar is that our date sugar actually has a gram of fiber per teaspoon, which means if you substitute a cup of sugar in a cake, you're actually adding 48 grams of fiber. Um, this is huge in our very fiber deficient country. Um, you know, fiber is one of those things notoriously hard to get into kids, notoriously hard to get into adults. <laughs> so, um, being able to make that transition, um, is actually very impactful. And one of the big things about fiber is that it actually slows and steadies your blood sugar response. Um, so here's an alternative that not only tastes pretty much exactly the same, as, as sugar. Um, it's got a slightly more caramel flavor, um, a little bit less sweet. But here's a replacement for sugar that's benefiting you in so many ways, like slowing down that blood sugar, adding fiber. Um, it, it, we really maintain the same nutrition as a whole date. Um, and so really now we're working, really trying to find values-aligned companies to prove that this is a change that um, people want in their products, um, that people are looking for. And, um, as we prove that being able to grow our food service channel, I think is a big part of our future as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, it brings up a topic that I've, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, you're using co-packers now and you're in transition sounds like, and you know, from the size of your scale, of your business, because your category, just sugar alone, let's just say, you know, let's say, let's say your ultimate size of category, I don't know what share you could get out of the sugar category. It'd be nice if you get a big chunk of it, but um, <laughs> the reality is I don't know how much you get, but even at the, even a small chunk of it is yeah. a very big number. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's a $90 billion market. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, even a small chunk of it is a very yeah. big number. Um, so, so talk a little bit about, you know, co-pack, you're utilizing co-packers um, now. You started out in a shared use kitchen, but uh, you're, you're on to co-packers to, to hit the, the scale you're looking for. Um, and your supply chain, you know, considerations and stuff like that. You know, why don't you give the, the group a little bit of thought around, you know, the, the, you know, some of the, just sort of like some of your trials and tribulations there, but also, you know, the things that you are, the challenges you're up against. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the last two and a half years have definitely posed challenges for all CPG businesses across the board, all businesses across the board. But um, we've actually managed to bring our um, costs down this year, which I think is a really huge achievement in the time of 
in this time we're living in. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, starting back in, in 2018, um, from making it myself in, in a kitchen, um, you know, making like maybe 60 bottles at a time to now doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of bottles at a time, which is a really exciting change. Um, so we switched from a switch from our own team and kitchen, um, back in like late 2018, um, to a co-packer in California. Um, and now is the time we're making a transition to another co-packer to be able to meet our needs, um, to grow, um, to be able to produce both our specialty products and our, and our larger flagship SKUs. Um, and I think, you know, I think, for anybody, an entrepreneur, like realizing that the most important part of your business is operations. Um, you know, we've put a lot of focus on ops in the last like 18 months, um, to be really, really focused on, on our supply chain. And I think what's been challenging, you know, in this time of inflation, um, and as shoppers are potentially putting less in their grocery carts and making, small adjustments to the way they shop. I think we, we've seen a really big swing from um, the pandemic time where, you know, food out like restaurants really suffered, obviously, during the pandemic. Um, but people were cooking and baking a lot at home. And so we had actually had like really record numbers during the pandemic. And as inflation hit, people are like starting to go out a little bit more. Um, we definitely took a little bit of a downswing that's now back up. But I think, you know, being a little, being less focused um, for six-ish months on the actual sales in the grocery store, knowing that there was limited things we could do about people putting less in their cart and, um, and uh, you know, maybe making, making purchases that were a little bit more price sensitive um, really allowed us some time to really focus on our supply chain and make sure we were maximizing every cent we were getting out of each sale. Um, and so I think it's it's interesting to see the ebbs and flows of a business like that where some, you know, there'll be some months and some years where you're really focused on, on sales and then other months where you're really focused on optimization. And so it took a lot of testing, a lot of different suppliers, um, a lot of trying to <laughs> think about contracts and what we were in for long term. Um, and but, you know, we actually come out on the other side with um, with a really improved supply chain um, that took really just diving into every single piece of what goes into our bottles and our packages um, while trying to do it in, in a way that was sustainable. So we're actually moving with our plastic bottles to all post-consumer materials. Um, our, our bottles are already recyclable, but, you know, we really wanted to start trying to move away from virgin plastic. Um, and, our date sugar box has been completely sustainable from the start, um, but we did uh, we did a life cycle analysis um, where we really looked at the environmental impact of each piece, and so we are not only bringing our costs down but improving our impact on the planet as we do it. So we're really proud of this of this year where we really tried to optimize and and we did it in a way that was sustainable. 
Yeah, you got a lot going on. So, and and, and like I say, some of this is even newer to me because we haven't we haven't talked that much about it. But, um, and that's you know that's sort of an interesting aspect. Right? As you get into your sales and marketing, it's like you know what do you focus on? Because you've got so many good things to focus on. Honestly, you got a lot of good trends. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how you pull that together. Is is I'm going to watch you later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, keep an eye out. The the next yeah, few months we're going to be relaunching a lot of branding, and um, you know, we're we're excited to be able to speak to consumers in a new way. We have a great team all working on this, and um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to most of all, I think a lot of maybe entrepreneurs listening that have been kind of one woman or one man shows um, with, with a little bit of help, but really mostly relying on yourself um, to be able to transition uh, at this point after um, after three years to, to being a team and having a little bit of space to think on larger strategies. I think as, as a leader, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes in entrepreneurship, you can really get bogged down in the details and the operations details because that's what you need for your company to function. Um, but to be able to take a more macro look and actually look at things from a, you know, a bird's eye view, it's, it's really exciting to be able to think about bigger goals and, and bigger strategy. Yeah. No, it's, uh, like I said, it's, so you you know like I said it's too bad we didn't work together because I think you'd, I would have I would have enjoyed working earlier <laughs> on with your business like I say because I have a, I have a a, a a Venn diagram is how to maximize business profitability or potential um, and um, you know and it is, it is just that I mean say no no one segment of your business ultimately as you grow can dominate and in the beginning you know often I hear the comments about operations being king because there's so many moving parts there's so much there's product, there's labor, there's, you know, throughput. I mean, just, just, it's high, a lot of high, heavy lifting. Um, but if you don't have a good brand and marketing, right. And have that all figured out completely and your role in the category and, and stuff like that. And then sales has got to execute, you know, it's all about making the, hopefully getting a retailer to pay as much as you can and really be happy with you. Um, and, and those are, those things have to work in unison because like I said, good example, sales comes up with, Hey, I got somebody that I didn't have on my budget. Well, that's, good, but operations going to have to short order a whole bunch of stuff in order to fill the, fill the pipeline. Um, those that's the, at the growing pains is maximum is getting those three core business functions balanced out so that your financial plan that you have for the year to run can be executed with, you know, minimal amount of redo, you know, um, yeah. you don't want to, you know, that's one advantage. I think a lot of entrepreneurs do have when you bootstrap effectively is that, you know, how much things cost. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> And so you keep track of them, you know, and, and by keeping track of them, you know, your finances are, I always say, if you fo- focus on your finances, the, you know, they, the, the, the problems go away. You have to focus on them. Though. Yeah, I love thinking about those three pieces, like having to work together. And I think that's that's the big benefits of finally having a team. I feel like yeah. when, you're, when you're starting without a business partner um, early on, it's tough, right? Because you have to you have to jump from each mm-hmm. place. Um, yep. and sometimes that's multiple times a day. Sometimes it's multiple times an hour, <laughs> so, oh, yeah. um, you know, really moving from place to place. So I think, um, what's going to really make us a strong business right now yeah. is now after all of that time. And I, th- I still think as, you know, as we lead the business, it's great because, um, myself and my business partner, we have had experience in, you know, 
we've had experience in running each of these categories, but now finally getting to oversee versus actually being in the weeds doing and be able to use all of those elements together and strategize on our future vision is, is really exciting. And yeah, getting to work on your business, not in your business. Yes. 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 Yeah. That's a good transition. And I'm I'm sure it'd be very welcome for you. Um, So, you know, let's just sort of round it out. So now, you know, you're, you've, you've had some early seed round support, so you've got more of a staff, you've got a team, um, you have a, you have a board of advisors. We do. Okay. And then, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that. And then, you know, and then the transition of, of, you know, you and I talked about an exit strategy. What I do with the companies is, you know, as I first get to meet you guys, I have you fill out a, 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 a business model canvas and it's, you know, it's sort of a rudimentary thing. And I didn't, I didn't used to believe in them, but I like them for me anyways, because I, I gets me up to speed as to what you're trying to accomplish as a business real quick on one page. Um, and, you know, so, you know, this idea of my, and the first thing I added onto my canvas, which is if you, you know, type in business model canvas on Google, you don't get, you don't get my version of it. I have one more question in the beginning is what's your exit strategy? Um, and the reason I asked that question is that, you know, if your exit is, I'm going to grow up for three, you know, to three to five million, then sell it, you know, that kind of thing. You know, you have to then look at who's going to acquire it. Do they need everything you're putting into it or not? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, if you're no, I'm going to build it. I'm going to probably hold it for 10 to 20 years. Could I could end up being, this could end up being my legacy business. Um, that's a different thing and it requires a different set of thinking. Um, so, you know, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about, okay, so where do you go from here? And, I'm, and, and so I'm going to backstep to that canvas real quick. And so why don't you talk a little bit about what your thought is on exit strategy for your business? Yeah, um, well, we do, you know, we do hope to exit, I would say, in about five years, really, you know, trying to grow the business to about, you know, I would say around 20 million in sales before we start to evaluate. I think we, on our on our long-term plan is like, evaluate closely when we feel like we're on track to 15 to 20 million, which I I hope will be sooner rather than later. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think like right now what we're really trying to evaluate is the differences between being really strong in our category versus expanding. Um, And so I have no shortage of ideas with how our sweeteners can be used. Probably what I think about um, in all of my off time. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to figure out. Like how, how big of a piece can we take of this $90 billion market? What sweeteners can we replace? I mean, it would be my dream to see all the artificial and zero calorie sweeteners um, take a little bit of a backseat to, um, to kind of real, real fruit options. Um, and so really just seeing like how big of a piece can we, can we take of that? Um, I think, Companies like Wholesome Sweeteners have demonstrated that huge exits are possible in our category, um, which, you know, baking and sweeteners is kind of a lower velocity place compared to, say, dairy or snacks, um, but it can be done. I mean, I think Wholesome built uh, Wholesome built an incredible brand um, based on many, many different types of sugar. I can't say that any... that any of them are sugars that we consume in in our house. But um, I think they proved that in our category, um, something big is possible. 
so yeah, like I say, I, a lot of the reason I asked the question about the exit strategies. So now, so now having that sort of framework in mind, it's like okay, I, part of the, one of the things I'm pretty happy to hear when you when you say that is that your best route is to probably go co-packing and everything you do because you know whoever's going to acquire you has that, right? Um, you know, now what you have to do though is you have to build that brand. I was you and I were talking about. Um, you know, I've worked with a company called Conoils in the Milwaukee market, you know, not worked with them, but I just, I've worked, talked to them about various things and, and they've been part of an industry group I was with, was with, uh, called Fab Wisconsin. And, um, you know, they had this sort of similar deal. They had, um, you know, Stacey uh, Peterson, who, who's the CFO founder or CEO founder of the, of, of Conoils actually acquired it. Uh, I don't know exactly how they acquired it because I, it was a ConAgra division that they were just trying to get, they were trying to get out of there. And it was an exit strategy for them to just get out of the specialty oil area um, because it wasn't big enough. I mean, ConAgra is a you know, multi-billion dollar company. A hundred million dollars is sort of like a cost of entry for a lot of large companies like that. Um, and, you know, 50 million is an F, you know, according to that thinking, you know, um, and so, you know, when you had, I don't know how big the company was or the, the division, but let's say it was 20 billion, a million, um, you know, it's like, wasn't enough for them to pay attention to. So Stacey was able to, you know, make an agreement with them to take over that business. And she created Conoils and she's been growing it nicely because, um, and she doesn't have a brand at all. Even in the grocery store, she's, um, doing just the specialty work with as an ingredient, um, because that segment is growing, you know, people are using specialty oils, but you know, she's going to be that, the, 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 the con conveyor of that. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting to watch you have an opportunity in a similar space, you know, of sugars, sweeteners, um, things on that nature, stuff that's, um, you know, it, it, it could and should be a big growth engine for, for years to come, honestly. Um, like say your food service and food ingredient business, um, and um, so, you know, trying to prioritize that with consumer brand, you know, to continue building a brand in this case um, for people to recognize there is a difference, you know, in sweeteners and, and, and whatnot, that's sort of the razor's edge you got to walk. Um, yeah, totally. And I think one thing we're really trying to highlight on the new branding that I think speaks to people really easily is less sugar than honey, maple syrup and agave, you know, just being really clear about like what what the differences are here in a way that's really easy for people to understand. Um, so I think it's been a lot of work for me to come from a very like, you know, detailed science-y background and trying to distill that into exactly like what's the easiest possible thing to understand. And I think it's like more sugar or less sugar. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think, you know, being able to really highlight that has certainly, has certainly come up for us, um, recently that, that, that feels like, that feels like the core of, of what people, of what can speak to someone in that three seconds when they're looking at, at a, at the baking aisle shelves. Um, and, you know, I focused a lot on glycemic index before, but realizing that that's still, that's still kind of a nebulous term for most people. And so while I hope that discussions about glycemic index and glycemic load become more forefront, um, it still just isn't there yet. And so um, I think that was a big learning for me too, like transitioning from what speaks to me about it, which is the low glycemic index versus translating that into something that's much clearer to understand, which is like less grams of sugar per serving. 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting. I mean, as we as we talk, I think about how do you become the intel inside, you know, for you know, well, you know, whether it's your product or some third party's product, um, you know, so that you're the preferred source of that, you know, as a as a as a as a, as a sugar replacement. Um, it's sort of a, an interesting opportunity for you for you as you grow if you stay in the if you stay in more of the sweetener aisle. Yeah. Um, and then, and then we really want to build that honesty and transparency with our yeah. customers so they keep coming back to us and knowing yeah. that when they come to us, they know exactly what they're getting, that we don't hide what's less than 2% of our yeah. ingredients, like so many customers, like yeah. so many companies do, you know, that they know exactly what they're getting um, when they come to Just Date and that they can feel really confident that anything else, you know, we're going to put out is is going to be good for them. I mean, I think an example of that is like one thing we considered doing were gummies, um, you know, made with our syrups. And when it came down to it, and after my research with dentists and um, other pediatricians and really discussing the impacts of that, that was like, even if our gummies are a lower sugar product, it is like the one of the number one causes of cavities. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they, no matter what they are, like the texture of gummies gets stuck in your teeth yeah. and for like much longer than you would ever hope it would be there. And so, you know, it's as lucrative as the gummy space has proven to be, like, it's not something we're going to get into because yeah. like, because of the medical. That's your brand promise. Yeah. No, yeah that's good. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's really good. That's really fun. It's like um, I say, you you got a you got an interest. It'll be an inter- it'll be interesting to. I'll, I will keep in touch. Uh, you Please know. do. Um, like Please I say, I can, I can offer up, I can offer up some for some uh, sort of easy access to uh, the FFI type of member services. Yeah, well, it's been really interesting to talk to you, and um, you know, like I said, we're at this um, pivot point of you know taking our brand to the next level. And it's like you said, we're really coming back to our branding and messaging and realizing that's such a key piece of, of the next steps for us. Um, so we just redid our packaging, which we think is really wonderful, but also like taking, um, taking all the, the elements of change we just made on our packaging, but taking that out to like larger messaging um, to get out there. It's exciting. So one last thing, I'm a food finance guy, so I have to think about, so you, you just got, you're just sort of wrapping up your seed round. Um, do you see a series A before the exit or do you see, uh, how do you, how do you see that sort of uh, financial arc looking like? Yeah, we do. I mean, we're profitable and we're like improving our profitability by like about 30% margins this year. So, um, that is really exciting, but, um, you know, I do think it really depends on, on how the next year and a half goes, we're going to try to make the seed round extend as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if a series A is required, if we decide to launch a bunch more products, um, mm-hmm. that that's probably the case in which, in which a series A might be necessary. Um, but I do feel really confident in our margins and profitability and um, the, the success to date of our products that we may not need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, exactly. If you're still looking at your business model, I mean, the one advantage you have going with your food service business and or an ingredient play, if you can get a key player or two to be your partner, um, you, it pushes you in scale on everything you do with your co-packer, your suppliers and the whole nine yards. 
you don't need to make a lot of money there, honestly, because it can be a key driver to your supply chain growth. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it, it, it look at it as a portfolio. That's a lot of what if you were building your plant, what my recommendation on anybody that's out there that they can't find a co-packer that can really do what they're doing because there's a new to the world type of product or process. Um, okay, great. You know, you, you're, you're going to have to invest in operations most likely. Um, if you do build out your plant and you need 10,000 square feet and process capability to go with that, then, you know, my advice is go and you're going to be in bit, you want to grow to that, that 20 million type of number. Um, okay, you're going to need more than that, that 15,000 square foot facility. So 10 or 15,000 square foot facility. So build a 20 to 25 and or phantom line on more capacity and, and build out, you know, a good chunk of your capacity requirements for the next five years. And then what you do is you, on your business model, you fill that plant up as quickly as possible with as much manu- co-manufacturing, either as an ingredient or a private label type of programming so that you, you get scale in your operations. Um, and your, your, your investment in, in that capital is, is being maximized. And, oh, by the way, you're getting more throughput. You're having, you can buy better technology. You can um, get, you get more attention from your suppliers. Everybody looks more, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're, once you're going into that mode, they, they want to be your partner for that growth cycle. Um, and so you start achieving scale in areas that you're not planning on. So even if you had private manufacturing or uh, like an ingredient supply, um, look at it as a portfolio. It's, it's covering some fixed overheads and you're making some margin on it. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's doing that and getting you supply chains power. All right. So, you know, it's a, it truly is, you know, trying to make sure as you grow out of the, you know, your entrepreneurial company into a scaling and growing company that, you know, what's your portfolio of business um, and, and, and look at it as such, because like, even in my example, if you had a co-pack, if you're using your own manufacturing, even if you know, say, oh, now I'm out of capacity, Brad, if I do that, I'm like, no, you're not. If you raise your price on a product and you're co-manufacturing it, um, it goes away <laughs> um, because they're so price sensitive. Um, and then your capacity is back in your lap. Now you going with using a co-packer, if you get the right co-packers, it sort of creates almost infinite capacity, right? Um, and or you get a list of good co-packers that, you know, you know how to manage. It creates, hey, I can go to market as fast as I need. Now how much money do I need to go to market? A lot of good opportunities in front of you. Oh, you're bringing up you're bringing up lots of topics that I want to dive in even deeper. So, so we'll you know, uh, like I said, I want to make sure we wrap it. I, I I'm a bit, I sort of get accused of going long on these. So, um, so we're gonna. I think I think this is a good place to sort of stop off and and and, and I guess you know, like I say, what we do in Food Finance Institute is work with businesses to, you know, you know, to basically build and fund their businesses. Um, especially what I do in the fund and the, with my accelerator program is that it's just that I, I'm more, I'm actually more focused on the plan that goes into a financial model that gets you the money that you need your business. Cause without the plan, um, you know, the money, as we talked about earlier is dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but that's what we do. And I, I love hearing your story because one, you're doing a great job. So and, and uh, I think you're in a great category, you got a lot of good trends and it sounds like you have a good team around you. So I'm looking forward to seeing your growth. Um, with that said, any parting comments for the audience? <laughs> no, I really appreciate, um, I really appreciate your time today and just being able to dive into all of these pieces at, at a pivotal moment. And I think the only parting word is to, you know, always be re-looking at your brand. And even when it feels like you're doing things right, there's probably always something you can do better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a tough thing, especially when you're growing. You're supposed to be ch- change. It takes three years to become your status quo. Yeah. And you're, you're in a whole bunch of three-year, 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 so you're sort of always in change. <laughs> but, but anyways, um, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. So, well, Sylvia, so appreciate the time and look forward to, to, to seeing your growth in, in the marketplace. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha and the Food Finance Institute by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.